0: And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. One of the key issues in inflation is gas prices. That we know that the gas prices going up so much are not only hurting individuals, it's hurting businesses as well. And petroleum products, fuel. The economy all over the world, including here in the state of Arizona, the president of the United States is expected at 1030 this morning to announce that they will be releasing our government will be releasing one million barrels of oil per day for several months to lower the gas prices and the hit on the American people. To talk about that effect is Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddies. Uh, how much of an effect will this have? And is this part of, in your mind, a long term solution to our petroleum issues?
1: probably is not a good long-term solution. Um, In fact, it may be counterproductive for a long-term solution simply because it puts more of the nation at risk if this conflict continues. We are starting to see gas price relief, or I should say we've already seen relief across uh, areas of Phoenix. Uh, Refinery issues in Southern California that had affected the price is now leading to some relief as those issues have been dealt with. Average price is now about uh, one and a half cents lower than a week ago. That downturn should accelerate. Oil prices after the announcement down about four and a half dollars a barrel, though last night after the announcement was made, um, or I should say as, as sources were reporting it, oil was at one point down six and a half dollars a barrel. So uh, we've seen a, a little bit of a, a, a bump back up in oil frankly you know there's a lot in the details here but this is not going to provide the meaningful relief that many americans are hoping for it may provide some measure of relief maybe 10 to 25 cents but we're still talking about prices that are going to be over four dollars a gallon
0: so then what do you believe is the long-term solution is it upping production in the u.s going back to energy independence is that part of it or is there other things that can be done
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the SPR is a one-time pool. Once it's drained, it's gone, especially, um, you know, without a plan for replacement. My concern is that the Biden administration, as part of this announcement, is also going to say that it's going to start charging oil companies for dr- uh, for permits that they don't use. The danger there is that there are myriad supply chain issues and reasons why oil companies can't actively drill on every single permit they have. And to charge oil companies, again, this is the wrong uh, maneuver. Um, I can't tell you how frustrating this is because all of these answers are short-term Band-Aid solutions on a bullet wound and that these aren't going to help motorists in a meaningful way. I hate to be pessimistic, but um, you know we, we need long-term solutions, not short-term Band-Aids. All
0: right, so I'll give you one more. It looks as if in the Biden budget proposal that they've put out that they are going to suspend oil lease sales or auctions, they're going to suspend those oil lease sales through fiscal 2023. What will that do if that happens.
1: Well, again, it's 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 another wrong approach. I don't think that will have a drastic upward impact on prices, but it will prevent them from going down or recovering in a meaningful way. And I think that's why, um, you know, if I were to suggest something to the Biden administration, you know, enough of these Band-Aid solutions. I think we see the need for for more energy being produced here in the U.S. It gives us incredible uh, power over the situation with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, if we had more oil production, we could soften the blow of sanctions on uh, uh, uh on the situation. So, um, you know, the, the answer is not releasing a, a pool of oil. The answer is is allowing for more U.S. oil production on a daily basis and, and trying to help oil companies do that.
0: Patrick Hahn is joining us. He is the uh, analyst over at Gas Buddies and the experts in this area. Uh, let's talk about where Arizona is going. Are we already have when do we see the change in the fuels that we use in the summer that usually increases our prices? And what's going to happen when demand goes up in Arizona?
1: Well, it is starting to go up in Arizona. It's starting to go up nationally as well as temperatures warm up. Um, So, you know, I will say that the Russia situation is overpowering most of the other factors that are pushing prices. So... Um, you know, that we're seeing a rise in demand is not really surprising, um, but it's kind of the backseat issue uh, right now. And the switch over to summer gasoline has also started as well. And, and so, you know, that's another issue that pales in comparison to the overall Russia situation. All of these all of these normal issues that are front and center are now kind of taking a backseat role uh, to global events like uh, the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict and a rise in COVID cases in China.
0: When you look at where gas prices are going, and we, I know you can't predict the future completely. I asked you before if we'll ever see gasoline below $3 a gallon again, or even below 4 What do you expect once all this turmoil is over? What's a comfortable place in your mind do you think we're going to settle somewhere eventually?
1: I think we'll probably settle somewhere in the low $4 range, or at least I'm hopeful for that this summer. Um, it's not impossible that we could see the upper threes. Um, you know, if, if, if we can get through um, turnaround season at refineries, um, you know, it's not impossible that by later this year we could be back under $4 a gallon. It just really depends on how the situation with Russia and, of course, how the administration keep, continues to handle the situation.
0: Where could we go if we were back to energy independence? Could we go back to where we were on Inauguration Day or we know nev- that's not even possible ever again
1: well keeping in mind that there's a lot of reasons why prices have gone up rapidly i mean a lot of it is COVID recovery i think most of these issues could get ironed out but it's going to take a long time let's not gloss over the fact that you know these supply chain imbalances that are affecting everything are not going to be solved overnight or in six months maybe in a couple of years so i'm, I'm hopeful that we will eventually return there Um, Biden, you know, that suggestive that Biden, um, for his part, a lot of this is COVID related. And, and while Biden's policies may put us on a different road in the future, we're not to the point where we're realizing those, or it's not the bulk of why we're here is COVID and Russia and Ukraine, not Biden's policies. So we will see some improvement in the years ahead, but that timeline is is subject to change because of all the issues that have arisen really since, since COVID. I mean, who would expected Russia and Ukraine to be an issue a year ago?
0: Right. Absolutely. And that's the thing is that we it was something that we didn't expect to happen. And it's made everything just accelerate. Uh, I appreciate the time as always, Patrick. I know you get pulled in a lot of different directions. We hope you'll come back and maybe next time it'll be with better news.
1: I'd love to. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thanks. That's Patrick Dahan from Gas Buddy. in a moment, what we're going to talk about is Ukraine, because as as Patrick said, a big part of this is because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Are they on track for a peace proposal there? What is the U.S. doing to help them? The majority of Americans you heard during our newscast believe, and it's not a huge majority, but the majority of Americans believe that we should be doing more, should have done more to aid the Ukrainians and what's happening with uh, with Russia. So that's going to be where we go next is take a look at this and where what direction are we taking and is it the right one in helping the Ukrainians end this and how quickly does it need to end in order to salvage not just the wheat crops, but what's going on with the oil and things of that nature. So we'll talk about both of those things next. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Now, continuing coverage of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine. I want you to hear a couple of things. Uh, one from ABC in a news report about what's happening of Russia repositioning in troops and what they're saying that they may be backing down in some regard. And then a response from the NATO Secretary General. Let's start with this ABC News report and what they believe.
1: At the peace talks, the, the Russian negotiator said, we will do this as a gesture of goodwill and a sign of our intentions to sign a peace deal, to reach and to sign a peace deal
0: with Ukraine. That's what they said in Turkey. What they're doing is is still shelling, still bombing. They have the Pentagon said has pulled back from some towns. But the Pentagon assesses that that is a tactical withdrawal. They're merely repositioning their forces in order to attack even more aggressively. Vladimir Putin and his his gang were saying, we're gonna invade Ukraine. It just shows how hysterical the West is that they think we're going to invade Ukraine. They said that up into the day they invaded Ukraine. Really, absolutely everything must be taken now with a grain of salt, but with a very, uh, like a salt filter. It's very difficult to determine you know, what is true from what is false. I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine that has been in the military for 24 years and is, uh, you know, a, a more of a tactical expert than I am for sure, and a different perspective on this. As the Russians, there are a couple of things. As the Russians pull back their their troops from the outskirts of Kiev, there's a couple of things that they still are lobbing artillery. Into Kiev. But the other part of that is, well, there's two things here that could be dangerous. One is they realize that the Ukrainians are gaining some ground. And so that pullback could be to protect those that artillery. Number one. But number two, what if they're pulling back for a major attack on the city so that their troops are not caught up in the attack and killed by friendly fire? That's another thing is a pullback like that could be strategic in the sense that we are making room for what's about to come. And so we don't know what's going to happen next. What the Russians say and what the Russians do are absolutely different at many times. So here's the response from the the secretary general
1: from NATO. We have heard the recent statements that Russia will scale down military operations around Kiev and in northern uh, Ukraine. But Russia has repeatedly lied about its intentions. So we can only judge Russia on its actions, not on its words.
0: And so part of a peace agreement would be the complete withdrawal of troops out of Ukraine. And so we'll see if any of that's even possible. But what we are starting to see, I think, from uh, the... um, uh, From the outside looking in is it seems like Russia is figuring out either uh, Vladimir Putin has been lied to by his military experts or they're starting to figure out that winning this is not going to be what they thought it was going to be. And there's a major difference when the allied forces went into Iraq. We weren't going into occupy, but we also understood that whatever damage was done long term, we were going to have to rebuild, that we would end up rebuilding it. And we rebuilt as we fought that war. It's something else that's unique. And I, I want to make sure we we stand in a clear difference from what we saw happen in Iraq and what we are seeing happen now. Um, there was a program, a couple of programs in in Iraq where the military, our U.S. military, while they were chasing down terrorists and, and that war, were rebuilding infrastructure, water and electricity and sewers. They were teaching people to build homes. There was a project in Iraq called House of Hope in which I believe it was the Army Corps of Engineers, but they went in and they taught the locals western building techniques and technology and how to build homes. And it went over so well, they kept continued to do it and went from this program called House of Hope to Village of Hope, in which they not only taught them how to build, but then they taught them management skills and construction management skills to kind of help revitalize that industry. There is a major difference in the way those two approaches happened. The small footprint from the American military in Iraq, which ended up not working. We ended up having the surge. But the idea was we didn't want to destroy the infrastructure of the towns that we had to go in. When I say we, the military had to go in to fight this war. So my brother was in the Bradley's, Bradley's and and the armored vehicles weren't driving on the streets. In some cases, they stayed off the streets so they didn't damage the streets that would have to be repaired later. And then that's where the IEDs came into effect. And they had to armor the bottom of the vehicles, not just the top, the top and the sides. But we know that there was the mindset of not destroying. We now know that if Russia wants to take other major cities besides like Mariupol and the others, they're going to have to destroy the cities. Well, they have to decide what they're gaining by making it a wasteland, because even if they win, what have they won? And I believe that's part of what's happening here. Sometimes peace talks are a delay tactic. Pulling back military troops just a couple of miles or whatever it's been is not a withdrawal. That could be strategic in so many ways. And believing what the Russians are saying has been failed in the past. We understand that. We understand that Vladimir Putin is a misinformation mastermind. It's what he does better than anything else. And by the way, his popularity in Russia, according to polls in Russia, is about 90%. Since the war began, his poll numbers have gone up in that country. So one of two things, or maybe both, is happening. Either the world is being lied to about those polls, or the Russian people are still being lied to to such a degree that they don't see what the rest of the world sees. And I don't know which of those two or both are happening. But if we are waiting for the resolve of the of the uh, Russian people to be broken, it certainly doesn't appear like it's even close to that happening where they're rising up and saying this has to end. Some of the oligarchs might be, but we are not seeing the massive amounts of Russian people marching in the streets and demanding that their government end this war, because what they're being told of this war is completely different from what the world is seeing. And I just I think that's an important piece of this puzzle. If Vladimir Putin believes that the Russian people are going to build statues to him in in the long term because of what he's done here, if he can convince them that they are freedom fighters and this is a preemptive strike to stop NATO from invading Russia, he's going to be a hero to the Russians. So this could make this go on a lot longer. If his forces are decimated, if the Chinese aren't going to help. If the economy suffers dramatically, that's going to be the quickest end to this without military involvement from NATO countries. But we do need to get the Ukrainians what they need to defend themselves. And we should be expediting what we can so that they can get it quickly. And that's what they're asking for. The Ukrainians are saying we still need more weapons. All right. uh, how out of touch are things? We're going to talk about inflation in a few moments, but also one member of Congress, a name you'll probably recognize, and a confrontation with ho- with homeless people that you've got to hear to believe. All of that, next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Journey, making their way to Gila River Arena April 9th for their Freedom Tour. Head over to the contest page at KTIR.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets to see Journey. Um, I want to talk about inflation and I want to talk about what's happening to the average American. And I also want to get to something that is is, seems to me this is where the American people are angry. We can talk forever and we do about political differences. You listen to the show for 10 minutes. You're going to know where I stand politically. But I also want to make room for other voices. I'm not going to back off what I believe, but I want to understand. And if you've got a good idea or we have a good idea, I don't care because we've got to speak to most people, not just people. On our side of the aisle, um, it's the difference between for those of you out there that are faith based, faith based people, it's different than a sermon on a Sunday morning or being a missionary. Sometimes you've got to be a missionary. sometimes you have to go out and convince people what of about what you believe that you know there's a lot of sides of the aisle we think each other are bad. And, you know, I have the right. We're patriots. We're the good guys. You're the bad guys. And sometimes you have to explain to them in in a very nice way. I'm not looking for a confrontation. I want a solution like you want a solution. We just have different ideas of what the solutions are. But there is a there is the majority of the American people and the numbers for this president on in every um, every category of his presidency are falling. And there's a reason. And I believe if I were advising this president, if I were advising this administration, I would say it's because they feel like you're not listening to them. And I've got a couple of examples of that. The U.S. consumer spending growth slowed in February to 0.2%. So we're seeing a dramatic slowdown. Jobless claims edged higher. Key parts of yield curve inverts, blaring recession warning. So all these headlines are out there for people. Food prices are going up. We've been told of a food shortage and things continue to get worse. But now I want you to hear about something that's tone deaf. Maxine Waters, the congresswoman, it was at an event and I, I believe she was talking about homelessness, but she was at an event and homeless people came because it was a homelessness event and they didn't like the lip service they were getting. I want you to listen to what happened.
1: Well, might what what so I want many people, people out here. Yeah. Yeah. Had yeah. Had yeah.
0: Minute. I, want, I want everybody to go home. <laughs> and I want We don't you. got no home.
1: Right. And why are we here? Miss McIntyre. Miss Waters, can you home with your room too? Yeah. Just
0: a moment. Just, just a moment. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen anymore today. The energy secretary Granholm says. If you had an electric car, gas prices wouldn't matter to you, telling people out there they can't afford gasoline for their car to go out and spend $70,000 on an electric car or $50,000 on an electric car. Um, and if you live in an apartment, who's, where are you going to charge it? Uh, all these things. Just if you had an electric car, it sounds tone deaf. When you're a member of Congress at a homeless event and you look into the face of people, and I'm not mocking homelessness here, and I hope you guys know that. But when you say, I want everyone to go home, and a homeless woman shouts out, we ain't got no home. That's why we're here. I'm sorry. That shows how absolutely tone deaf you are. So I want. she gets angry. She gets upset with them. And this is listen. It goes on.
1: I will be downtown
0: with Lassa. I will get the housing authority. That's why they came out here today. I made them come out. Here. Oh, mm-hmm. And right. I'm going to go. And you need and to know they, make, why they and, they're failing because Blanca Jimenez repeated. We gave us several meeting requests for you concerning this in Lhasa for years. In you, that's that's there's that you're there. nobody
1: in Washington who works for their people in a than I do. Believe I, you. I believe you. I don't want to hear it. I believe you. So can no, we no, finish no. no Work no, with no, me. No, no, no. Work no, with no, me no,
0: so we can have. Do you not hear the condescension in her voice? That is a tone deaf member of Congress. So I want to look at solutions. And this is this could be of any political party that someone sounds like that. I've talked about this a hundred times and I'll do it a hundred more. Because I have dealt with homelessness in my family, not me personally, but a very close cousin of mine who died homeless in Vegas drug addicted, didn't want to get out of his circumstances. And I, my family has admitted that and talked about it internally that we felt so sad for him that he was happy on the streets. He didn't want the help that was offered to him through his family and a support system. And it ended up costing him his life. And it was a cousin that I was so very, very close with, but homelessness, when it has a face for you like that, when there is someone that you love, that you see through the mismatched clothes and sometimes needing a haircut and a shower, when you see past, Past all of that. There are real people with real stories. What's happening in America right now, what's happening in Arizona right now is we are seeing people that never imagined that they would be compromised when it comes to a place to live that are going to be compromised for a place to live. These are hardworking people that are getting priced out of life. And the best organizations to solve these problems are private organizations. And I keep saying their names over and over again because I want you to go seek them out and see if you don't agree with me that they are fantastic organizations and that they deserve our support. I am as concerned about homelessness, I guarantee you, as much as Maxine Waters. I don't believe her being in a governmental role is the solution. You hear the frustration. Do I I believe she works as hard as she's telling these people? Sure, I do. I think that it's a concern for hers. But it's a failing concern when it's just the government that's doing things. You've got a woman playing. Pleading with her, work with us to house these people. Private organizations are the ones that are the key to solving problems like hunger and homelessness. United Food Bank. St. Mary's Food Bank, St. Vincent de Paul, Circle the City. You look at those organizations and there are many more and I will, I will name a list or post a list when I get them. But if you look at these organizations, the thing I can tell you are there are a couple of things is number one, they have tons of volunteers because people like you and I, we may not have a ton of money to donate, but we will donate our time and help. There are people out there that want to be part of the solution that will give of their time doesn't happen in the government because it can't. You have people that work in those organizations that are professionals, that are in the streets with homeless people, that are confronting hungry families, that are finding out what the needs are and doing the best job of filling them. And lastly, they count on the donations of people, not the taking of taxes. And I'm not – this isn't complaining. This is just the reality. The government taxes you and they have a budget. These organizations here in Arizona and around the country, they understand that the minute someone like you or I that would write them a check or do do write them checks will stop when they're wasting your money, when they are not being good stewards. So they penny pinch and they squeeze every penny out of every dollar that they can, A, because they know it's the right thing to solve the problem they're trying to solve, but they also understand they have donors to answer to. So that's why they're so much more efficient. First of all, they understand the money side of it in their offices, but they also understand the importance of it in the streets. How is a Maxine Waters going to understand the plight of homeless people unless she goes out and she's with homeless people all the time? You know, the one organization I've talked about a lot is Circle the City because it opened my eyes to a whole part of homelessness I never understood, which was medical care. And unless you understand the plight of a homeless person that's got cancer, you can't even be a part of the solution to fixing that problem. When we have the we think about the pandemic and the widespread and the the community spread of of COVID-19. Well, think about it in homeless camps, and how do we solve that solution? And where do you put people when they need to be quarantined and they're homeless? If you don't have people, smart people in those positions, you can't solve the problem. So I'm not saying government's evil in this case. I'm saying it's not as well equipped as the private sector to do this. And government should be equipping the private sector with whatever capacity they're going to do in and then allow the private sector and individual towns to attack this problem. They need more resources, not more government. That's a solution. That is a solution. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to talk about uh, uh, the dossier. If you don't know what happened to the Hillary Clinton campaign, it's the other side of the audit coin. We're going to go to that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. it's kind of flown under the radar. Hillary Clinton's campaign from back in 2016 has now been fined by the Federal Elections Commission for the dossier that they spend over a million dollars commissioning. Um, this is the other side of the audit coin here in, uh, in uh, Arizona. This was a partisan attack that started out as it was campaign misinformation, which always happens. What it turned into was a federal investigation that was a farce. And it was a farce no matter who was in office. And here's where the problem lies. Um in monitoring the Trump administration, you're supposed to get a FISA order. Well, the FISA orders were given on very weak, weak terms, and the way a FISA order is given is a little bit different. It has to go through the chain of command. You're in a field office; that field office goes through their chain of command. That they this is the FBI and verifies that there's enough evidence there to go to the Department of Justice and ask them to uh, to issue a FISA order for surveillance. Well, in this case, these were the top level people at the FBI and the top level people at the DOJ. Day. They were—they are the checks and balances. So that's where this first started and got off track to begin with. I talked with people that were with the FBI for years. They've never heard of headquarters uh, operating an investigation. It always goes through a field office. But the reason why this is still such an important topic is – When when the media jumps on something and they don't do their due diligence and everybody was claiming that this was accurate information until it was debunked. Well, now all of them have got egg on their face if they don't admit that this was something that was false. That was false information. Nancy Pelosi commissioned two major, major committees in the House of Representatives, the Judiciary Committee and Jerry Nadler in the Intelligence Committee. With Adam Schiff, and they commissioned them to investigate Trump, and they did this for about three and a half years of his presidency. Now, Donald Trump's not the president anymore, and we keep going back to Donald Trump, and we shouldn't. But the fact of the matter is that what happened in that investigation was just as bad on a federal level as it was on the state level for a partisan look at the elections in 2020, which I also spoke out against. Whenever we allow people to manipulate the government, and most people think the FISA courts were put in place in, you know, after 9-11, and they weren't. They were designed in the 1970s to make sure that the federal government went through a judicial process to surveil people. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is what FISA stands for. But when you are doing these surveillance of, a, of an entity from a foreign country or a foreign individual, if you somehow in the midst of that investigation find incriminating evidence on... An American, there is a whole different set of rules on surveilling an American. And they did this because in, in the 60s, all you had to do was, was call someone a, a subversive, whether it was um, Martin Luther King Jr. or otherwise. If they were deemed a subversive, they were surveilled, which is completely un American. So I know that there is a a lot of divide in this country about Donald Trump. I, I get it. I understand. But it shouldn't change how our system works. We don't railroad people because we don't like them. And this was an attempt to railroad Donald Trump. This started out, this this uh, was opposition research is what it's called in a campaign. This started out as opposition research. And when someone, when the Mueller report came out and they started looking into this, it was so easily and quickly debunked most of it just by looking at Donald Trump's passport. He wasn't even in Russia at the time that these things were said to be happening in most cases. So this isn't a defense of the former president. I'll be honest. I am so done with looking backwards in that regard. But this is about the way we do business in this country. Weaponizing the judicial system shouldn't happen in either party. And when it does, we should all call it out in unison. So now you've had an independent investigations going on during terms of political parties of Republicans and Democrats. And the Clinton campaign is being fined for what they did. That should answer questions and say to people, whether you like her or hate him or not, that what they did was wrong. And whenever you do something wrong in this country, you should be held accountable for it. Period. That's what's supposed to happen want to address the border issues coming up. There is still the Title 42 looming and it being rescinded. And when it does, what's going to happen? More and more people are speaking out, including people inside the Biden administration. What is the answer to the border crisis and how much worse will it be with the ending of Title 42? We'll talk about that in a moment.